What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're here at Nutmeg Post with our engineer, Frank Ferdorosa. Our guest this week is a writer, producer, and popular actor in films, theater, TV, and commercials with a career spanning seven decades during which time he's worked with virtually everyone, including Charlie Chaplin, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, Clark Gable, Jack Benny, Ernie Koufax, Jonathan Winters, Paul Newman, David Lynch, and yes, even Lon Chaney Jr. And he's still working at age 89. He's written and produced plays, scripted TV shows such as Maud, The Maud Squad, The Annams Family, and acted in dozens of others, including... The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, The Detectives, McHale's Navy, I Dream of Jeannie, Love American Style, My World and Welcome to It, Allie McBeal, ER, and Becker, to just name a few. For eight seasons, he's played diner patron Harry Beesmeyer in hit sitcom Alice and famously voiced the lovable character Choo Choo on Hanna-Barbera's cartoon series Top Cat. Film roles include Adam's Rib, The Nutty Professor, Angels in the Outfield, Freaky Friday, Wild at Heart, and two movies we talked about a lot on this podcast, The Great Race, and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Please welcome, I believe this is true, our only guest to have known both Danny Thomas and Maria Ospinskaya, <laughs> the legendary Marvin Kaplan. Wow. <laughs> I did a lot, didn't I? <laughs> you sure did, Marvin. Now, before anything else... Any Anybody who listens to this podcast knows what a fan I am of Lon Chaney Jr. So t- oh, he's, he was a lovely man. We worked together on a movie called Behave Yourself. And he was a very quiet kind of guy. Uh, 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 and, um, I mean, he always played all these monsters and all of that. But he was a very shy person, Chaney Jr. And... We had uh, in the company, we had Shelley Winters and Farley and Granger and Hans Conrad and William Demarest and, and Lysha Cook and everybody you can think of. And and Shelley didn't know how to work as an actress and she made the picture go way over budget and he had another assignment that he had to go into. And he, he had to lose that other job because there were all the delays. But I, my mistake when I in that movie was we we had to shoot each other, Sheldon Leonard and I. I fell first, never fall first, because the others are going to fall on top. Of me. <laughs> 
And Lon Chaney weighed at least 210 pounds. <laughs> wow. Now, he, like another guy you've worked with, Broderick Crawford, were both... I loved him also. I, I, I did um, a radio show with Brod. His mother was the famous Helen Broderick, who was one of the best light comedians supporting people around. But Mr. Crawford, uh, we did a, a, a suspense together. It was directed by Elliot Lewis, and it was about Dutch Schultz. And I played his secretary, the bookkeeper. <laughs> and we're sitting around the table, and in this cast was uh, 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 Bill... That wonderful actor who played uh, Nero Wool, a radio actor. Oh, William Con William Conrad. Bill Conrad, Bill Conrad, and Herb Butterfield and Jay Novello and and all the top head and Peter Leeds, and they're talking about contracts. And I said, "Ask Peter." I said, "What what what is that? What does that mean? Contract?" He says, "Well, that means they they." They took out something to bump a promise to bump somebody off, and and I said, "Oh my God, they're going to kill somebody." <laughs> now, now, I went over to Mr. Lou Elliot Lewis, and I said, "Mr. Lewis, I don't know if I can do this show. They're making me very nervous. <laughs> they're talking about this like they're saying pass the butter, you know, uh, and I and I can't take it. It's so callous. It's so awful." He said. Use it. Use all your your fear, and I did, and I was fine. Now, now, Mr. Crawford had had a drinking problem, and I also worked with him in um, uh, Highway Patrol, and you had to get his shots early in the morning because in the afternoon he was gone, <laughs> and he usually held on to the police car to say his lines. You know, but he was a very sweet man. I, I liked him very much. I heard the same thing with Cheney. He would warn people, uh, just you got to get it all by a certain time, and then I'm useless. Because <laughs> he was also a drinker. He was a very, they were very uh, gentle people. Marvin, take us. I, I had to hold up Rod Crawford across the microphone in the scenes I did with him. Oh, you had to hold him up? <laughs> yeah, because he was drunk. <laughs> so, Brother Crawford was drunk, and he you. He was drunk, yeah, he and, was. And yeah. you had to hold him up. So, yeah, so he shouldn't fall, fall either on top of me or. <laughs> <laughs> So and, fall back, you know, do fall back. And he dangerous. he wasn't exactly a light guy. No, he was a big dude. Yeah. He no, was, he was a tall person. And he was pretty on much on the heavy side. And he, he was brilliant in uh, all the king's men. Absolutely. And he was very good when he did Lenny in Of Mice and Men on Broad. Oh, that's so right. You saw it. No, I didn't see him do no. that, but I saw him do uh, mice and um, all the all yeah. uh, all the king's men, yeah. And Mercedes McCambridge was one of my favorite radio actresses. Was in that, and I also you were getting back to the Wolfman again. Uh, the, well, I, don't, I don't know if he worked with her, but he saw her in in local, in local productions. Oh, okay, Maria Uspinskaya. I loved her. She she was I didn't actually work with her, but I knew she was teaching, and, and she had very long hair. She was about four foot ten, and she was marvelous in what she did. She's a great actress. Yeah, well, she was one that started with the whole Stanislavski. She brought that over from New York, from Russia. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Maria Uspinskaya, shame on you. Yeah, that number one, shame on you. Yes, but uh, you would know her from the Wolfman, best of all, where she was the old gypsy woman, uh, Maliva. She played. Yeah, she played in the Wolfman with a friend of mine, 
Elena Verdugo. Oh, oh wow. Elena Verdugo. From Who's still around. Elena's still around. Yeah. We got to get her. And can you tell us the name of the legendary actress who discovered you? Oh, uh, the one who discovered me was Catherine Hepburn. How did it happen, Marvin? I was in the Circle Theater production of um, Doctor in Spite of Himself. Our teacher at the it was at the Circle was um, Constance Collier, who taught us Shakespeare, and Hepburn was preparing something Shakespearean. She was going to do as you like it, and. Uh, so Kalia laughed so much, she recommended me to have, that Hepburn come see it. Hepburn came to the theater with Gladys Cooper and Constance Collier. And when you had people like that in the audience, they usually met the cast afterwards. But this is how this producer of this theater named Jerry Epstein who was not a nice human being. This is how we introduced this, this the cast. And Hepburn came up to me, and she was so beautiful. She had red hair. She was about 46 years old. Not a, No makeup whatsoever. And she was so fresh and so beautiful. I, 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 I loved her. And I said to her, I, she said, you're Marvin Kaplan, aren't you? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, she said uh, you've done a lot of work, haven't you? And I said, no, this is my first job. <laughs> and she said, well, you're very good in it. And um, I said, so I don't know what made me say this, but I, I said, I hope you don't think I'm being fresh or anything, but you remind me of my sister. You both have red hair and freckles. And <laughs> And she said, yes, this damn son. <laughs> <laughs> and then I figured that was the end of that. But the next day, I had a report to rehearsal because the people in the cast thought I was terrible in the show. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I would go, I came to rehearsal. And on the bulletin board, it said, call MGM. Well, I tried to get a job as a page at MGM, so I figured that's what it was about. But it was I, I, it was it wasn't the right extension. So I called them. They said you have an appointment to see George Cukor at three o'clock. Wow! It's now about twelve. I said, "Oh my God!" <laughs> so I had to hang up, excuse myself from rehearsal. Because I dressed like a slob at rehearsal. <laughs> those days, you went on an interview. In those days, when you dressed, when you went on an interview, you wore a suit and a tie and tried to look good. That doesn't happen anymore. But uh, in those days, that was very important. So I took a bus home. I lived in a boarding house, and uh, I. I I had it. I didn't remember even where MGM was, so I took a cab to MGM, which was fairly expensive. And I arrived at about ten of three, and uh, I go to the talent department, and and they look at me like I came to do the books, <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "We don't watch." And I said, he said, you must be up for the Cucor movie. And they pointed me to Mr. Cucor's office, which was in the Irving Thalberg building. And I arrived exactly at three minutes to three. And Mr. Cucor came out at three o'clock. And he said, Catherine Hepburn is your agent. She saw you in this play last night. And she wants you for a part in our movie. And he told us, he told me, the movie was then called Man and Wife. And it was written by Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanan. And uh, he describes, he said, I need, a, I need a court reporter who repeats very melodramatic testimony in a dull, flat voice. And I said, I have a dull, flat voice. <laughs> <laughs> and he said... I've noticed. <laughs>
We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And now back to the show. Marvin, tell us about working with Chaplin in the in the Circle Theater. At the Chaplin, I got the job as a fluke. William DeMille, who was my professor at USC, I studied out to be a playwright. Yeah. I came out here to be a playwright. Yeah, you're from Brooklyn originally, too, we should tell people. Right, right. And, I, and DeMille gets me in his office and he says, I saw you play. It's very funny. And I, I think you have a lot of talent. He says, but you haven't completed one-term paper. You've taken all our classes at that one-term paper. So why don't you – he threw me out of the school. He said, why don't you get a job as an, an assistant stage manager somewhere and, and see what actors do to writers' lines? And then he threw me out. And there were only two theaters that I could go to without a car. Uh, one was uh, the Actors Lab, uh, which and I went there, and and uh, they said they only hire their own students to be stage managers. Then I went from there to the circle, and I said, I've just come from the lab, which was the truth, and they said, we've been expecting you. They were expecting somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> but... They gave me the job, and it was it was uh, stage managing for Charlie Chaplin. And what was he like, uh, uh, Marvin? I heard you tell a story that he did a handstand on a table, and he must have been in his sixties. He was the most energetic. First of all, he moved like a ballet dancer, the most graceful man I ever saw. And, and uh, he was a very short man, white hair, a perfectionist, an absolute perfectionist. And uh, I had to take down the blocking. Like, well, we would start rehearsals at five o'clock in the afternoon because he was writing limelight in the in the daytime. Wow! And uh, so we had at five o'clock, and he, at nine o'clock we would break for dinner, and he paid for everybody's dinner. He we went we had steaks at at Lucy's. And Musso Frank, it was great food. And but then we'd come back to the theater about 11 o'clock. And then we'd rehearse till four in the morning. And then he would go home again to the right limelight. Uh, so the rehearsals were non-union type rehearsals. And Mr. Chaplin, he, he wanted me, it was circle theater, which means that you have to sit in the same place to take down the notes when you see a different show. So I'm sitting down in the place and I had to take down the blocking and around three in the morning, he says to me, uh, did you get that down? I had a note on the blocking. And I said, yes, Reverend Davidson moves to the desk. Well, first of all, he played all the parts. He moved for all the actors. He played Sadie Thompson he played the native woman. <laughs> but when he played Reverend Davidson, something terrible happened to him. He hated religious bigots, which is what this man was. And all the evil in this man came to the surface and he scared the hell out of him. So he said, did you get the blocking? And I said, yes, Reverend Davidson crosses to the desk. 
And he said, how many steps did I take? And I said, I, I don't know, Mr. Chap. And he said, this time concentrate. <laughs> I was ready to go. I was falling asleep. And I said, yes, yes, Mr. Chap. And I counted. This time, even though he scared me to death as Reverend Davidson, I concentrated on his feet. And I said, you took seven steps, Mr. Chapel. He said, that's correct. He had, and I realized he was, he was a master technician. He had to work. He worked mainly in music halls and in movies where you had to hit marks. That's what they did. He was hitting marks. So he was a real disciplinarian. And and uh, he had me if they I he I stopped the scene once because the actor did crossed his legs the right leg over the left instead of the left leg over the right. He he also believed in matching, which you do in movies. But he was I loved him. I was like a sponge. Anything he said, I I I was in heaven. He was magnificent. Also, Chaplin told me two very valuable things. He said, if you have a scene with violence, do the violence off stage. It's much more frightening. Let the audience think of the violence. Pretend, let them imagine huh. what happened off stage. He's absolutely right. And he believed in the Japanese school of acting. For instance, there's a scene. Oh, first thing he had me do as the stage manager was cross out all the stage directions in the play. Cross them out. And uh, like it's, they had parentheses hysterically uh, in a rising voice. Cross all that stuff out. And I did. And then he said, um, so there's a scene where Reverend, she's screaming at Reverend Davidson. Uh, Sadie Thompson. She's denouncing him and screaming. And all he had, Bill Shallot, too, who played Reverend Dayton, was cross his legs. And you knew that she was in his power. A simple thing like crossing your leg. Interesting. Believed in that kind of economy. He was a, he was absolutely brilliant. Let me ask you about a couple of other legendary comics you worked with, Marvin. Uh, Red Skelton, who I know you were very fond of. And, I loved him. And Jack Benny, Red. Jack Benny too. Red was a very kind and a very generous man. Now, the problem with Red was that he had a preview, and he had the dirtiest preview. <laughs> I heard I this. What, <laughs> what does that mean? I heard that. The dirtiest it... preview. Like the line was, uh, it was a Mother's Day program. <laughs> and I played a man who wanted to buy a box of candy for his mother for Valentine's Day. <laughs> right? So the line was, he offered me, he said for a quarter, she can smell the jelly beans. <laughs> and then, he, but it, that's not what he said. In rehearsal, he said, well, let her come over and I'll let, for a quarter, I'll let her lick my popsicle. <laughs> I heard on the Red Skelton show that I was going to pass up. <laughs> yeah, I heard on the Red Skelton show when the guests would crack up, it would be remembering how he did it in rehearsal. Interesting. He would act. He would rehearse exactly really so. dirty. Exactly so. Because the next day we had to do it for an audience. Uh, 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 we had to do the show. And I figured, oh, God, if he says this, i got to say, I'm going to say this. If he says this, I'll hate it. Well, he followed cue cards on the show. He said everything he was supposed to say. But he looked at you like, remember what I said here last night? And I, I couldn't get the lines out. I laughed so hard. I, I heard all the guests would crack up. Just that. Oh, oh, he was a, he was a, he loved to make people laugh. And he was a tragic man in many ways. His son died when he was about nine years old. Yeah. Richard Skelton, terrible. He had a hard um, life. He said to me before this show, he says, he was also accident prone. And he would run into a breakaway wall that wouldn't break away. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and he said to me, if anything, he says, I, I get very nauseous before. She, so if anything happens to me, he says, don't worry. We have a, a uh, kinescope. I said, I, I don't want to use the kinescope. <laughs> now, you worked with Jack Benny. Yeah, I loved him. I loved Mr. Benny. GE Theater you did with Jack Benny. Well, I only worked with him once. I, uh, it was the memorial show when they dedicated the building at Television City. And I loved him so much. Now, Mr. Benny was just the opposite of Milton Berle, let's say. Because I, so I, I was in Vegas at a time, and Benny was the headliner. And he, I saw him after the show when he was crying. I said, what happened? He said, well, we had a, a drunken woman in the audience and she heckled me and she threw me. I, now, Burl would have told her a couple of miserable <laughs> but, but, but Benny didn't play that kind of character. And he, he played a very gentle kind of character. And then he was, so he was lost. He, this woman ruined his performance. And and Jerry Lewis in the Nutty uh, Professor. I wasn't crazy about Jerry. Still, <laughs> the jury is still out on him as far as I'm. What what didn't you like about Jerry Lewis? Well, I did this part in Nutty Professor, and uh, I had to wear a mattress jacket, and the only jacket I had was purple. I thought that was a good color for a mattress jacket. But we did a the name of the set was the Purple Pit. So my 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 costume went right into the wallpaper. So they had to make a suit for me. They made a suit in one day, but the first day, Jerry directed the picture as well. And uh, the first, so I came on the set. The first thing he did, he, he tried to run me over with his uh, kitty car. And he fires, he followed. The first thing he did was fire off a gun. And I nearly fell out of the makeup chair. So they, they knew they had a live one, right? And uh, and uh, the second thing he did was try to, trying to run me over with his kitty car. So I went over to him and I said, Mr. Lewis... Uh, I, I don't know if I can work in this picture. I was 4F. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you say, Marvin, that you, di you didn't admire his way of, uh, of of doing comedy, that he was somebody you say was working was too a, hard. He's a brilliant talent. Jerry is a, an exceptional talent, but he's his own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. He needed yes men around all the time. He... he, he he directed everybody better than he directed himself. And uh, he's a brilliant, they called him in, in Paris, he's, they compared him to Chaplin. Well, he's not Chaplin. Well, <laughs> he, did a, he did his last movie, one of his last movies, was a, 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 a wonderful script that a friend of mine wrote called The Day the Clown Cried. It's about a clown during the Holocaust. Oh, yes. We're, we're, we're familiar with it. it. Well, it was released because he was so bad in it. It was written by Joan O'Brien. Yeah. It, it really needed somebody like a, a, a Red Skelton whom the audience would love or, or a, a Robin Williams. You know, he needed a likable personality. And Jerry came up with a very obnoxious sentence. Now, you worked with someone who is uh, is a favorite of Frank and I, and that's the great character uh, actor Fritz Feld, who used to, like, do this popping sound, popping his hand against his mouth. He would always be the maitre d'. Oh, Fritz Feld. Yeah, Fritz Feld. I love Fritz. Fritz was, Fritz was an original. Fritz came over from Ufa. He was a dramatic actor. And uh, they, but Lubitsch used him. 
and, and then he was in Bringing Your Baby. Yep. He was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And for people out there who don't know Fritz Feld, it's like he must have played the maitre d' about a million movies and TV yeah, shows. Yeah, he only had the trademark Absolutely. pop. Absolutely. Actors did that in those days. And and they, he would always they, be they like... They didn't have to, all they had to do was show up on the screen, and the audience knew all about them. They didn't have to go into tons of exposition. Yeah, well, he'd, he'd hit his hand against his mouth, make a popping sound, and it would be like... Table for two. Yeah, and he'd click his heels. Yeah. This is when he played a Nazi, he had popping sound. He was was an outrageous man. He was a lovely, sweet man. I loved him very much. And another actor we brought up on the show, uh, Sam Jaffe. Oh, Sam was my role model. I worked with Sam, and I can get it for you wholesale. Sure. Now, Sam is the first, Sam was a lot older than me. And and uh, I called everybody, I called everybody Mr. I called Mr. Daly, Mr. Sanders, you know. And Sam said, Marvin, my name is Sam. They call me Sam. That's nice. Oh. And I called him Sam. And, and, and um, he was very supportive. And he said to me, he saw me in the play once in a lifetime, and he, I asked him how he liked it, and he he said, you're not yet a diamond, but you're a wonderful piece of coal. Wow. That's nice. Yeah, I, I, I worshipped him, and, and I, I, he chose me to give him an award at Equity. The Diversity Award. Nice. He chose me. I was nobody. He could have gotten, you know, anybody, any any big star to give him the award. But they they, they liked me and they trusted me. Oh, and when Sam was married to a wonderful woman named Betty Ackerman, they did they did uh, Ben Casey together. And Gunga Din was and the first Sam one. Sam hated Ben Casey. He didn't like what's his name. Oh, he didn't like Vince Edwards. He didn't let no, because he wasn't a serious actor. He was a, a horse player. And Sam didn't like people who weren't serious about, you know, their work. Uh, and, uh, but, and that's why he didn't sign. He didn't extend his, his uh, engagement. They, they, had, they brought in Franchotone to, 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 for the extension. You know, but Sam was brilliant. And Sam lived to be in the... 96, I think. And uh, his best friend is Edward G. Robinson. Oh, yeah. Who started a standing ovation for me when I did uh, Once in a Lifetime. He started it. I I started to cry when I came on stage. I couldn't believe they were standing up for me. I was a comic. You know, I was was all right. I was... but they stood up. And the other person that Sam introduced me to was Zero Mustel. Oh, tell us he, about that. He, he was bona fide crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we had his son Josh on this show, Marvin. Huh? We had Josh Mustel on this show, on our podcast. I can't understand what you said. I said we had Zero's son, Josh. Oh, yes. Uh, I worked with Josh, but he hasn't got the man's, the old man's. Magic. Josh, Josh is a very good actor, but there was Zero Mustel was in the class by himself. I saw him do a play by Patty Chayefsky called uh, The Latent Heterosexual. And in it, he commits Harry Carey. And I saw it, and I said, Oh my God. Oh, my God, he, he cut himself. He, re, he really going to die. And I went backstage to see him. And I, I said, Zero, are you okay? I said, he said, I said I'm sure you, you, you hurt yourself when you did, did it carry, carry. He says, nah. He lifts up his shirt, and there's a huge gash on his stomach. But he didn't feel it. <laughs> wow. I, I heard That's Zero Mustel. I heard Zero Mustel was like scary to work with. No, he got me. 
his his house seats when he did Fiddler on the Roof out here at the Schubert Theater. The first thing he does on the before he falls into the milk. He fell in the milk. <laughs> the second thing he does, he's singing the song "Do You Love Me." He gets his nose caught in the door, so it comes out. Do I love you? <laughs> and, but in the third act, he when his daughter's the third daughter leaves him, he broke your heart. He actors like him. Like Barrett, I was told Barrymore did the same thing. They get bored with the parts. They can do them so easily. And they throw in all these this this garbage all, <laughs> to throw themselves to make it more interesting. Just to keep themselves amused, yeah. Now, we have to get to a movie that both Frank and I want to know about. And that's a movie that had just about... Every celebrity in the world at the time, every great comedian, it's a mad, 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 mad world. I got that on a fluke. I was up for, they gave, offered me the part of Edward Everett Horton's assistant, played by Doodles Weaver in the movie. Oh, yeah. That was my, I got that job. But then what happened was, their original choice for Irwin was uh, Jackie Mason. Did you know that, Gil? Yeah, I heard this Jack- in. It. So it was you. It was supposed to be Jackie Mason and Arnold Stang, right? And Jackie gave Mr. Kramer his nightclub assignments, his commitments, and Kramer thanked him very much and fired him. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And now and. and now uh, there's a vacancy, so they thought of me switching me over to that part. And the agent Maya Michigan sends me the script. I didn't read for it. They sent me the script, and he and I read it. It read like the Manhattan phone book. It was very thick, yeah. very heavy. Big movie, four-hour movie originally. Yeah, and. Uh, I called him back and I said, you know, you know, Maya, I almost got killed reading this script. <laughs> what I have to do with this thing? I have to get thrown through a play class window. Uh, <laughs> I have to throw heavy equipment around. I said, I can't do any of that. And he said, Marvin, your deal is that you can do all the stunts that your partner can do. I said, who's my partner? He says, Arnold Stang. <laughs> I know Arnold's the biggest coward in the American theater. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't do anything. <laughs> so I said, anything Arnold consents to do, I'll do. Knowing he wouldn't do anything. <laughs> right. It's a safe bet. So I get the part. And the day before... They have a party in Palm Springs. We were going to shoot it. It was a Sunday. They brought me in on a Monday. Uh, Arnold falls in the swimming pool and breaks his wrist. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, he says, to, Kramer says to him, he says, thank God it's your left hand. He says, I'm left-handed. So they gave him a glove, looked like a catcher's mitt, and they put a monkey wrench in the glove. And I had to do all the work. I had to wash the windshields. I had to check the tires. <laughs> I had to do everything because Arnold was with the Shustunkin wrench in his glove. All right. Now everything is going great, except they hired Jonathan Winters for the uh, this crazy part. Huh. Now, Jonathan had never really acted before, and he's an ex-Marine, and he felt all the actors should do their own stunts. So I said, oh, my God. So Arnold and I are watching him on the sidelines, hoping he'll get hurt. 
seriously, but just <laughs> so he'll require a stunt. <laughs> well, he, he wrenches his back, and Arnold looked, in, and I looked at each other, smiled. <laughs> we knew we, if he wasn't going to do the stunts, we didn't have to. The only problem was to get a stuntman that looked like Arnold Stang is almost <laughs> impossible. So they got a guy who does chimps. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. You mean a guy that got into a chimp suit? Janos Brukowski. <laughs> he had no chin like Arnold, but he had big shoulders. <laughs> So Arnold had to have his shoulder pads so he'd look as good as his stuntman. <laughs> For me, they got a very handsome kid who was thin named Bill Maxwell. And uh, they, they kept putting padding in to make him look fat like me. And I kept taking it out because I wanted to look thin. <laughs> they put my glasses on him and he walked into a tree <laughs> but uh, yeah, he saved my life this man uh, Bill because he was one stunt which I was supposed to do where they throw me across a table and I'm supposed to slide across the table and then release something that take, takes down the roof, and I'm supposed to escape whatever's in the roof, and then keep on going. Well, the first time they threw him, they didn't, they didn't have enough momentum, and his neck hit the edge of the table. And I thought, oh, my God, they killed him, <laughs> or they broke his neck. Well, he was all right. And the second time, they had enough force, and they threw him. But that could have been me. Yeah, <laughs> easily. Now, that movie had also Sid Caesar, uh, Milton Berle. Jimmy Durante, oh, Phil, Phil Silvers. Uh, Spencer Tracy again. Right. The, the list I goes on. Mr. Tracy. Tracy wasn't well when he, I, when he did the movie. Yeah, you could uh, tell. Uh, but Hepburn, I understand. I, didn't, my, I only had a, very few scenes with with. with I didn't have any. I don't think I had any scenes with Tracy in the picture, but I loved him, and he was very good in the movie. He was wonderful. Didn't feel so. And, uh, I was so grateful I wasn't in any of the automobile stuff. Right, the car stuff was absolutely fatal. <laughs> Did, didn't Phil Silvers get injured too? And uh, do, doing uh, doing this the fight scene with Jonathan Winters, Marvin. The, and the thing with Jonathan Winters, this is what happened. Um, Jonathan had to ride this little girl's bike sure. to the thing, and it was 107 degrees outside. And and uh, my job really was to be uh, a babysitter, someone who would make sure that Jonathan did not leave the dressing room, did not leave the trailer, because he went crazy in the heat. So I had to keep him there. In order to keep him there, we played little games like, who are you today, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, today I'm the Tuesday bear. And you had to be another bear or someone who feeds the bears. And this didn't go on for 10 or 15 minutes. It went on until they were ready to like, like 40 minutes. He was a bear? Another bear or something. And one day he was the, the son of the chief who loved beadwork. <laughs> Love what? Beadwork? I mean, he, he played him like a homosexual. <laughs> the son was loved to do beadwork of this Indian son. <laughs> How bizarre. Like, he, he was crazy. <laughs> and then I would, somebody would walk into the dressing room, into the trailer, and I'd ask him to repeat some of the stuff he did. He couldn't repeat it. And I or he didn't want to repeat it. I heard that just sitting around the set of all these people, Phil Silvers, Milton Berle, all of them, the Stooges popped oh, up. They, they, there was no one. Well, 
uh, Milton, whom I liked very much, but I was he he had to he was bald at the time, and he had I was we were both in I was in the makeup chair after him, and Milton would not let them put the, this dye on his head. They had to pencil in all the hairs in his head. Which was very strange because <laughs> when he died, he died with a full head of hair. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, and, but Milton was very good to me. But Milton and Ethel Berman weren't exactly buddy buddy. Oh, they weren't. They to each other from from either burlesque or or he and Phil Silvers grew up in the same neighborhood on the Lower East Side. And then, of course, Milton had one of the stage mothers, Mrs. Burl. And they, there was a casting call, and she took him on every casting call when he was a kid. And uh, he went to work, place say, he said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Burrell, uh, we were casting dogs. And she said, bark, Milton, bark. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> now, what was it like just being on the set? With all these great comedians just waiting around. Who was that? Uh, now, when you were on the set of Mad Mad World, surrounded yeah. by the greatest oh, comedians. Berman was a, a, a shark. She's one of the strongest women I ever met. But she got hurt on the picture. She was running away. Her ankle hit a rock. Oh, yeah. And then they had to pick her up and turn her upside down to get the keys. Right. Well, she really screamed. And she had a pocketbook. And she hit them with the pocketbook. And it, and Milton it hit him in the head a couple of times. And Milton <laughs> complained. He said, what's in the pocketbook? He said, nothing. They opened up the pocketbook. And he is the heaviest jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Hit out of iron or steel or something. <laughs> She's been hitting him dead. And then he wanted, uh, he wanted at a certain point when he talked to her, for his finger to just touch her nose. Or, and uh, he said to her, it's not close enough. She said, where do you want it, up your nostril? <laughs> so they didn't get along very well, Milton and Ethel Merman. Oh, but they, everybody got along on that thing. It was a, it was the craziest cast I ever saw in my life. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Arnold, because Gilbert got to work with him later in his life. Who was that? Arnold Stang. Tell us a little bit Arnold, about him. Look, Arnold was a businessman. He, he, he wouldn't do anything unless you paid him. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. He wouldn't do extra lines. He would, whatever. I mean, when you did recordings, they they used to ask you to throw it up for any line. Arnold wouldn't do any of that. Arnold was like a stockbroker. He, he he always wore bow ties in real life. He was a very nice man. I like I I loved his work. I remember him from the Henry Morgan show and radio, and from Milton's program. He worked with Milton as a stooge. He's a wonderful actor, and a, and he I he, I saw him do again um, the thing with Frank, Man with a Golden Arm. Oh, great! He was terrific. In sure, it. sure. Sinatra. Yeah, he is. Now you also worked with Arnold Stang in a cartoon that was a favorite of mine when I was a kid. Uh, Top Cat. Yes. Uh, I, I know how I got that job. I got another fluke. In order to work for Hanna-Barbera, you had to audition. And the, fir the first one they auditioned for Top Cat was Michael O'Shea. Well, he's a nice man and a good actor, but he's not very funny. And they... Tr uh, you got to realize they were trying to do Bilko. Sure. Right? Yeah, with Arnold doing and Phil they, Silvers. They yeah. Couldn't, they couldn't get, they, Phil, they wouldn't get Phil, but they got Maurice Gosfield. Remember Mo? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Mo played uh, Doberman. Right. And Benny, oh, Benny the, the Bell, funny, Benny the Ball. He was the funniest man I ever worked with. I absolutely worshipped Maurice Gosfield. 
Oh, well, first of all, when he ate dinner, you knew exactly what he ate. <laughs> <laughs> and they they used to go to, uh, when they were doing Bilko, they would go to an Italian restaurant beforehand, and the guest actress was Kay Kendall. And Maurice ordered meatballs. And Phil, if watching Maurice <laughs> balance these meatballs, <laughs> he said he's he's doing it without a net. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that um, Hanna Barbera, Top Cat was a ripoff of Sergeant Bilko, an homage. Yeah, an homage. <laughs> everything, and yeah. they they ripped off everything. Sure, and and the Flintstones was a ripoff of the Honeymooners. Sure, and, of course, of course. And Yogi Bear was Art Kearney. Oh yes, yeah. yes. Joe Barbera, Joe Barbera, in order to get a job for Joe, you had to audition. Now he had three guys under personal contract. A man named Dawes Butler. Sure. Oh, yes. Sure. A man named Don Messick. Legends, both. Wonderful. And a man named Len Weinrib. Oh, Lenny Weinrib. You remember and him. If they couldn't do your voice, you got the job. None of them could do my voice. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Uh, Marvin, we gotta we gotta get running along. But tell us, uh, I heard you tell a story about working with Clark Gable. Oh God, I didn't get along with Mister Gable, and uh, I especially didn't get along with the co-star Loretta Young, who had a swear box on the set. Oh, she had a swear, swear box. box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. This is what I was very young. I was 23 years old. And I, I, I was 22 years old when I worked with uh, with Gable. And he was a good friend of, of Spencer Tracy, so I thought he would be a real nice guy. Well, Mr. Gable was called King. You called him, called him King. I only called him Mr. Gable. And... and I made the mistake. I wandered into his dressing room by mistake. I didn't know where I was going. And I saw this man without his teeth. <laughs> I started to laugh. <laughs> and then I had to do a scene with him. Well, he hated my guts. The one who I loved on that picture was Frank Morgan. Oh, Frank Morgan. Favorite. Sure, Wizard of Oz. Oh, yes, but he was in this movie. And he had a, I remember Mr. Morgan, they were, we were rehearsing, and he had a line, who me? That's all he had to say in the scene. And he said it, and the guy working with him cut it, cut it too short. He wanted to put in a little laugh after who me? Like, who me? <laughs> he wanted to put that in. And the guy kept cutting his head, <laughs> and he said, please, I, I have very little to do in this movie. <laughs> don't, don't cut my lamp. And, uh, and uh, he was at the third part in the picture. <laughs> I, loved I loved him for saying that. The other one I loved was James Gleason. Oh, we love James Gleason. Yes. Sure. And he says to me, he said, I've been watching you work, kid. Get your puss in the camera. Wow, good what? advice. And you puss in the camera, yeah. And and you were in. Oh, you were kicked out of the commissary by John Wayne. By John who? John Wayne. Wayne. John Wayne. Oh, I hate him. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't. I never liked Mister Wayne. Because we were doing Thelma <laughs> Ritter, Joanne Wood, and I were doing a movie at Paramount. We had lunch. And I don't remember, I think something Thelma said. And I was laughing. He came over to our table and he said, get out. <laughs> oh, wow. What a son of a bitch. And, and uh, so the, the other people got, said, 
with We All Left Together, Thelma, Joanne, and me. Oh, great. He was not a nice man in many ways. That has come up on this show. He treated my friend Struther Martin. He almost killed him. Oh, wow. Struther Martin, best known for in Cool Hand Luke. Sure. We've got a failure here to communicate. I love, uh, yes, yes, that was uh, Struther. And you worked with, you worked with, you worked with Paul Newman. Yes, yes, he's very short, but Struther was a a diving champion, and he worked in a movie for John Farrow, Submarine Command, and that man was a sadist, and the submarine was submerging into the water, and uh, Struth was swimming on the top of the deck. And he wouldn't, so he got out. He thought he'd left too soon. He made Struther stay down until the thing completely sucked him underneath. Wow. They were terrors. There were some terrible things that happened. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Now, but you worked with Paul Newman. He was one of my favorites. He still is. And he never he had never done comedy before that. And uh, uh, the way I met Newman was, I was on this picture at Paramount. A new kind of love was directed by Melville Shavel, sure, who wrote sure. the script. And um, I came in with my wardrobe, and this kid comes in. He's dressed in a, in a t-shirt. And so I thought he was one of the crew. And he said, they want to run lines. And I said, uh, I'll, I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> and he said, I'm Paul Newman. <laughs> I said, let's run lines. <laughs> and then it has been running the lines. There's a line there. Uh, I have to have a woman every night. You know, that's a sign up. And I threw in stamina. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, that's very funny. We became instant friends. But he was not used to comedy, and he would tell me, he said, Marvin, I did a comedy called Rally Around the Flag, and I was lousy in it. I I overdid it. I'm not good in comedy. I said, Paul, if you see me doing rotten stuff, I want you to shake your head and say you can't use that take. I, I'm not going to get in the in the middle between an argument with a director and an actor. I said, sure. And if, if I saw what the director's reaction was, and I nodded if, it was, if he liked it. <laughs> and I went, no, if he didn't like it. And you were in the... He had no confidence. I said, Paul, comedy is no different from drama. All you got to do is think a little differently. And then, uh, that was his first comedy. And after that, he, he did... Lots of other stuff. Harper, he was very funny. Oh, yeah. Harper. Very funny in The Sting. He had great humor in his work after yeah. that. Yeah. And you were in The Great Race with oh, yeah. Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, Blake Edwards. I loved Jack. Jack was marvelous. Uh, Tony, Tony had uh, Tony Curtis, my new from, uh, from Universal Days. Um, Tony had uh, was a show off, and he had two Rolls Royces, <laughs> and, and he brought one of them to the set, and he asked me to drive it, and I said, "Tony, it's wrong for the period." <laughs> I gotta say, Marvin, you're very funny in that movie as Frisbee. I know, but but uh, Jack. That morning that I worked, Jack Lemon had to jump out of a window, and he jumped out of it, uh, supposedly on on cartons, but the cartons didn't give, and Jack wrenched his back. Now, the scene is, we're doing the scene where I'm supposed to catch carrier pigeons. Right, you're on the ledge. You ever work with pigeons at the... (laughs) (laughs) I can't say I have. 
I work with a parrot every week. Arthur O'Connell and I are on this roof. And uh, I, 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 I look down, I see there's no net. And I say, oh, Arthur, there's no net. He says, why? And he's jumping around the roof. <laughs> and so I, I tried to, I finally got the pigeon, and captured the pigeon. And then Arthur comes to me, and instead of rescuing me with the pigeon, he just rescues the pigeon and leaves me dangling off the roof. <laughs> and then uh, afterwards, Blake Edwards, who was a very brave man, and very athletic and could do everything. And like to hurt actors. <laughs> like to hurt actors. Uh, he says to me, wouldn't it be funny if all we see is your hands, is his hands on a windowsill. <laughs> uh, and he yells Frisbee. I just try to get up, but back into the office. He yells Frisbee. And it throws you and you fall off the roof. I said, yeah, that's hysterical. Thinking somebody else is going to do it. <laughs> well, he had Dick Crockett, who was his stuntman, and he had Dick um, dressed like me with my glasses and the, the the same costume and everything. So I figured Crockett's going to do it. No, the camera's too close. You got to do it. So I said, he wanted to rehearse it. I said, get, get my dying words on camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great scene, Marvin. I know. But it was a far, he, he heard everybody in the picture. It's funny that the scenes, the, the two scenes where I fell in love with you when I was a kid, it, it, the, the scene in It's a Mad, Mad World and the scene in The Great Race, and now you're telling me that you risked your life to do both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, The Great Race. He made a deal with all the actors that they do their own stunts. I didn't know that. Wow. I'm certainly going to get hurt. Right. Oh. Okay. Now, now, Marvin, uh, this. I plug th something I'm doing now. Oh, of course. Yes, go, absolutely. Go. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I just directed, not, well, I didn't direct it, I was the dialogue director, but I wrote it, and I was the, the executive producer, a movie called Looking Up with Steve Gutenberg. No, oh, we love Steve Gutenberg. He's a lovely, sweet man. Got to get him on here. To get him on the show. We will. He's terrific. He's, he's one of the nicest people I've met, and he's excellent in the movie. Looking Up. And most of the cast is over 60. Okay. And tell us a, tell what the actors in the kid. It was done for about a quarter of a million dollars. Looking up, it's called. Right. Uh, it's about a man who decides to murder his family in order to get on television. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so it's making fun of the whole real realism TV reality show. Yeah, reality, reality TV Absolutely. craziness. Yeah. It was a takeoff on the View called the Yentas. <laughs> Oh. Wow. <laughs> Marvin, you've come to the right place. <laughs> it, it's a very funny movie. Now, Marvin, this, well, first of all, how old are you, Marvin? 89. And still working. Yeah. 89, still working. And we had a conversation about this, you and I. Because uh, we had on the show, Frank and I, we had on Dick Van Dyke, who's over 90. We've had on Peter Marshall. Who was 90. Who's 90. Uh, and yeah, look, look, they're crazy in Hollywood. And they're especially cruel to women. I mean, a woman is over 30, you got to tear her up. And there's so much talent out there in casting this movie. I have to... Well, I, I lucked out. I had one of the greatest casts ever. Brilliant people. And everybody was over 60. And and in the old days, which weren't that old, I mean, we had shows like Fantasy Island and The Love Boat and Murder, She Wrote, that would dig up these people who sure. were older actors. Sure. And you go, oh, they're as good as they ever were. Right, right. 
I, I love good actors. I love actors. I'm not crazy about the brass. But, uh, when I, when I, they invited me to parties when I was under contract to CBS doing Meet Millie, I would hide. And I would, or I eat, go near the food. You couldn't get me away from the food. <laughs> and the people who I hung out with were writers or um, other actors. I could not talk to the press. Yeah. I, I, was, I was too frightened and I didn't respect them. Yeah. 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 And, but I we was, both feel I, that way today. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it'll always be that way. But I'm just saying, like, someone like you, 89 years old, still working, still funny, still talented, and there's a, a million other guys like that where Frank and I are always finding. That's funny as ever. at the home named Connie Sawyer. Yeah, Connie Sawyer. She's 103 years old. We were told about her. 103. This year, she decided to give up tap dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. Okay, now, Marvin, uh, this you're one of those actors that we could go on for the next 10 hours. We'll we'll have you back another time, Marvin. We'll talk about the Chicago teddy bears and a lot of other stuff. Oh, yeah, I love to work with uh, John Banner. Hogan's Heroes Schultz. Yeah, yeah. I know nothing. And I work with Hunts Hall. Sure, the Bowery Boys and Hunts Hall. And I work with um, Jamie Farr, Art Matrano, and um, Dean Jones. Right. And I work with Shirley Jones. I work with a lot of wonderful people. And Carl Ballantyne. Yeah, we'll we'll have to have we'll have you back, and we'll cover everybody we didn't cover this time. How about that? You got it, baby. Because we've just scraped the surface of your career. Anyway, okay. this this is Gilbert Gottfried's. Uh, I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This is Gilbert Gottfried. You forgot the show amazing- again. <laughs> <laughs> happy, One- happy Passover. Wait, ho, ho, happy ha- Passover ha- to you, Happy too. Pesach. But wait, right. wait for a second. I'm Gilbert Gottfried. This is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And we're once again at Nutmeg Post with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. And we have been talking to the great Marvin Kaplan. Marvin, you're you're a living legend, pal. Yeah. I don't know about the legend part of it, but I'm still living. We'll, Thank you, Marvin. We'll, we'll see you again, buddy. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thank, right, you. thank you. Bye.